0: great to see you, uh, and we do welcome those of you who are newcomers. Let me tell you a few things about amen. Uh, here are the requirements. Absolutely nothing. Uh, <laughs> all you've got to do is show up. You don't even have to be sober, although I suspect most of you are at this hour of the morning. But what we want to say to you is there are no requirements. Just show up, find a place to sit down, and try to stay awake best you can. But uh, if you want to enrich your own experience and study of the minor prophets, we do have a few ideas for you. I've put together a daily Bible reading record that's in your your books in there somewhere. And those daily Bible readings are not just made up. They they are actually geared to the topic we'll be studying and the text that we'll be studying uh, that next Thursday morning. So if you start reading, for example, today, or maybe it was yesterday, I think it starts on September 15th, doesn't it? I think I cheated and started a day early. Uh, you'll find it starts with Hosea 1 through 3 and then right on through Hosea and then some other texts and the scriptures that are connected to Hosea 1 through 3 and the rest of Hosea so that you can understand the historical context of Hosea and the theological context. So if you want to do all that stuff, which I do, uh, it's available to you and, and it also may help you with daily Bible reading, you know, about a chapter a day, something like that, which I normally recommend for busy guys uh, who are not uh, trying to be heroic. If you can just read a chapter a day. You get through the Bible in three and a half years. That's not bad. And so we've selected some texts that we think will be especially helpful. Then the other thing that Don Riley mentioned, and 75 of you have already decided to do it, is that uh, I'll be providing some questions like the ones that are on your, de- your tables today. And for those of you who want to yoke up sometime during the week, and I generally recommend Sunday night through Wednesday night sometime in there because the Bible reading, the, the questions will be based on... Uh, the text that's going to come up the next Thursday and it will be based on some readings that if you're following the daily Bible reading schedule would have taken place Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, something like that. So uh, the discussion questions, if they seem a little bit out of sync to you, it's probably because you're not meeting on Sunday night through Wednesday night. You're meeting later in the week. If you're meeting later in the week, then the discussion questions will uh, look uh, back to what we uh, well, let's see. Yeah, you might use the discussion questions of the previous week and kind of look back on where we've been. So you figure it out. Go with it. But uh, for those of you who uh, are basically not really gifted socially, you know, make friends easily, uh, you know, let us help you. We'd be glad to connect you with some people, you know. Or if you're tired of your old friends and you want some new ones, uh, let Don Riley know. He'll plug you in, and certainly he'll, he'll help give some of this training. And let me tell you what the training is primarily for is to calm down the loudmouth, and all of you would be grateful for that. So send your leader so that he'll learn. He's not to do all the talking. He's just supposed to facilitate a discussion. The reason that discussions are helpful, for those of you who want it, I know when I was a non-Christian listening to Bible studies, the last thing I wanted was a discussion. When I was a new Christian, it still scared the bejabbers out of me. But once I started engaging in small group discussions, what it did was it helped me take the text and personalize it. And also learn more because I could hear what other people how they were reacting to the same truths that were being taught. So that's the purpose of the groups. If you want it, if you don't, we already told you. The requirements for amen, big fat zero. That's the way we like it. So we're going to leave it that way. One more thing about amen for those of you who are new. Uh, let me ask, how many of you here are not members of Second Presbyterian Church? Would you just raise your hand? Oh, that's great. That's about the way we like it. In fact, a little bit more would be nice. And let me tell you why. Uh, I pastor Presbyterians. I've been pastoring them for 30 years. They don't get out much. And, uh, and if there's one thing Presbyterians need, it's a little cross-fertilization. You know, they get down that track, man, and they're Presbyterians, and they may be Christians, but they are Presbyterians. Uh, so we like to spread it out. So for those of you here who are not Presbyterians, thank you, thank you, thank you. And uh, bring your non-Presbyterian friends, and the more the merrier. And really, honestly, the the deal is it just enlivens the entire discussion and environment when we have different perspectives. So we welcome you here. Now, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I'd really like to know how many of you are not Christians. And, you know, some of your hands would go up, and I want to say, please bring more of those. That even adds to the discussion, gives us different perspectives, and we'd really like to have those here. So welcome your friends. Now, you say, welcome, my friends. Wilson, you know what time of the morning? Yes, <laughs> And uh, let me just remind you what my friend, my late friend David Williams used to say. He says, I love the fact that that amen is at 630 because when I invite my friends to come, they can't possibly tell me they've got a conflict. (laughs) So so you will find out if someone really likes you or not. You know, they don't have any conflict. But uh, bring them on. Uh, I know we have maybe some space problems, but let me tell you what you usually do. Your attendance usually slides off in a couple of months here. So there will probably be some seats, and if not, we'll figure that out. But uh, especially... Uh, people who don't have a church, who are non-Christians, we really, really welcome that input because we learn a lot from the different perspectives. So do that. But let me just, just one word of warning. Whenever we've got multiple opinions and perspectives, sometimes you can almost feel a little tension around your table. (laughs) People don't agree. Sometimes I actually create it. But I want you to know I don't do that intentionally because I like my church. I assume that those of you who go to church, you like your church. And you don't appreciate somebody trashing it. I don't appreciate somebody trashing my church. And I don't mean to do that at all when I'm making certain comparisons. But at the same time, I don't avoid the issues where Christians disagree. You won't find me avoiding them. But I hope you'll find that whatever Christian perspective you have, for those of you who are Christians, that that uh, your point of view is fairly represented. And then I trash it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> So I hope that you feel that even though I'll be taking a perspective, anybody would who's teaching, that I represent your view fairly and that the main thing is that we major on the majors and we minor on the minors. And we don't ignore the minors. We just minor on them. So we'll deal with that kind of perspective in our study together. I hope it's enlivening for you. And really what I hope happens is that you grow. Here's what happened to me just a few weeks ago. My wife came home from shopping and she said, I met him. I said, who? She said, Mr. Wonderful. Oh, you met you met Mr. Wonderful? She said, yeah, he's incredible. And she said, he's out in the car. So Mr. Wonderful's out in the car. We'll bring him in. So she went out and brought in Mr. Wonderful. And this is what he looks like. Uh, and his name is Mr. Wonderful. I think she got him at, at Williams-Sonoma. And I said, well, I, you know, I'm not really jealous yet. It doesn't look like the competition's too bad. And then she said, well, you haven't listened to him yet. So, okay, listen to Mr. Wonderful. You know, honey, wonderful. <laughs> That's the mother-in-law, didn't you say in the, the week? Okay, uh, turn to Hosea chapter 1. If that's what amen does to you, you're sick. (laughs) All right, Hosea 1, and uh, we're just going to read straight through these first three chapters. Now, we won't always read the full text that we're studying because some of those texts are long and we'll read selectively. But we want to look at the basis of of what prophetic ministry is all about this morning. And there are so many elements in these first three chapters that I think will be helpful for us. So let's just read through Hosea 1, 1 through 3, 5 together. The word of the Lord that came to Hosea, son of Beeri, during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and during the reign of Jeroboam, son of Jehoash, king of Israel. Uh, Hosea uh, comes right before Joel, uh, in case you were looking for it. I heard some pages still rumbling. I, I think it was just Robert Taylor, but I don't know. <laughs> All right, verse 2. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go, take to yourself an adulterous wife and children of unfaithfulness, because the land is guilty of the vilest adultery and departing from the Lord. So he married Gomer, daughter of Diblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. Then the Lord said to Hosea, Call him Jezreel, because I will soon punish the house of Jehu for the massacre at Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of Israel. In that day I will break Israel's bow in the valley of Jezreel. Gomer conceived again and gave birth to a daughter. Then the Lord said to Hosea, Call her Lo-Ruhamah, for I will no longer show love to the house of Israel, that I should at all forgive them. Yet I will show love to the house of Judah, and I will save them, not by bow, sword, or battle, or by horses and horsemen, but by the Lord their God. After she had weaned Lo-Ruhamah, Gomer had another son. Then the Lord said, Call him Lo-Ami, for you are not my people, and I am not your God. Yet the Israelites will be like the sand on the seashore, which cannot be measured or counted. In the place where it was said to them, You are not my people, they will be called sons of the living God. The people of Judah and the people of Israel will be reunited and they will appoint one leader and will come up out of the land for great will be the day of Jezreel. Say of your brothers, my people and of your sisters, my loved one. I changed my mind. Let's stop right there. I want us to to look at this first chapter because it is absolutely scandalous uh, in its message and in its power. And that's really what we're talking about is the grace of God is actually scandalous to most people's minds. And this first chapter gives us uh, what Jim Boyce in his study on Hosea calls the, the greatest chapter in the whole Bible and the second greatest story, the greatest story being that of Christ. And this is the second greatest story. And what we see in these verses is that God and his prophet are married to prostitutes. This is the scandal. God actually, and you saw it in this text, he says to his prophet Hosea, go marry a prostitute. Huh? <laughs> I thought supposed to, you were know, supposed to marry people who are serious about relationships and had sexual purity and all the rest. He just breaks all the codes of convention. And he says to him, take to yourself an adulterous wife because the land is guilty of the vilest adultery in departing from the Lord. So he's basically saying to the prophet, I want you to picture something for me. Now, this is something that prophets often do. They go through these dramatic sort of actions to, to make a truth clear, for example, uh, when Jeremiah wants to describe what's going to happen to Israel because of their sin, you remember he takes a big clay pot and he goes, whack, throws it on the ground, shatters it to a million pieces. And he says, that's what's going to happen to you. And on another occasion, Jeremiah will put his, his hands in stocks and his neck on the yoke and he'll say, this is what's going to happen to you. And he'll walk around with this thing. And say, well, Jeremiah, what in the heck are you doing? I'm showing you what's going to happen to you. <laughs> so people don't forget it because they see it. Another example, Jesus Christ Himself was a prophet. You remember when He came into Jerusalem riding on a donkey? Rather than a white stallion, rather than a king of war, He came as a king of peace on a, on a donkey. What was that? It was a dramatic symbol, a prophetic drama. And He was presenting Himself and God Himself as peaceful king, now suing for peace with the people who ought to be suing for peace with him. So it was a dramatic symbol. Same thing here. God is saying to Hosea, Hosea, I'm going to change your life and you're going to work out a drama. Let me take a side road here just a minute. Do you realize if you're married that your marriage is a drama too, a prophetic drama? Most guys get all so tied up in their marriage and they measure it by how much happiness and how much success they have. And it's all about you. And all about whether you're happy or not. And that's the way you measure your wife. That's the way you measure the effectiveness of your marriage and all the rest. What you get in Ephesians 5 is that all of our marriages are a prophetic drama. That we are showing something about Christ and the church. About God and His people. Husband and wife. And so it's not about you. It's about the message being sent through you. And you just play the drama. And you're playing the part of Jesus Christ who's pursuing His bride. And she's playing the part of the bride that's that's submitting to Christ. And you play it out. And you may be happy. You may not be. And we'd like for you to be happy. But that's not the big deal and that's not the agenda. The agenda is what you're portraying through playing out the drama. And the same thing for those of you who are thinking about getting married. Same thing. You're entering a prophetic drama. Just like Hosea was told to go marry a worn out woman that had been a prostitute with other people. Play it out. I don't know. Normally you don't do this, but God wanted to show something. And what He was showing is an analogy. That this is a drama. Just as Hosea is going to marry a prostitute, God says, guess what? That's what I did. Because look at you guys. You're out there uh, involved in the vilest adultery. You say, I'm not involved in adultery. Oh yeah, you are, He says. Because I am your husband. I am the one wed to you. And you're prostituting. you're actually a prostitute chasing your lover. They're not coming to you. You're chasing them. And you are attaching yourself to other husbands. That's what God is saying. thats re- He's ticked. And He is using Hosea to do this wild thing to display what's really going on. Now in the first, three, uh, first two and a half verses, you get the fact that God's objecting to this. And He raises up a prophet to object. And I want to tell you something else. God objects to a lot of things going on. And He has some people He's raised up to complain about it. Guess who that is? You. We'll get to that in a minute. But God objects. And how does He do it? He raises up a prophet. He speaks through Hosea. If God wanted to thunder from the heavens and ride it up in the sky with lightning and let everybody see it that way, He could. Actually, one day He's going to do it that way. But his choice now is to do it through people like you. And Hosea was a prophet. God raised him up. Hosea probably said, Hey, was it all about? god That's the way God has chosen to do it, to speak through men. So he objects, and then he warns. He objects, first of all, that adultery is going on. And what we'll see in these next two weeks, here's the basic idea of the adultery. When the children of Israel went into the Promised Land, uh, uh, you know, several hundred years before Hosea, there was worship already taking place there of fertility gods, namely Baal and Ashtaroth, and other gods, many, many other gods. But Baal was the big cheese. And what happened was the people came into the promised land. They were supposed to destroy the false gods and all their wicked practices and establish the worship of Jehovah. And guess what? They did like most people do. They go in with all their zeal and intentionality, and pretty soon they've accommodated themselves to the land. And so people will say... I mean, they were probably saying things like this, you know, in those times. Well, we have all these Jehovah worshipers, but you know what? Their moral practices are no different from those who are Baal worshipers. ever heard anybody say that? You know, the divorce rate in our country is a little higher with Christians than with non-Christians. Christians get married. That's one reason. But... But our rate is actually higher now. So we reflect the culture. There's no difference. Why? Because we've gone after another system of values. We've gone after another God. And God says, that's adultery. You've abandoned me. Now, in this case, there was Baal worship. He was the big cheese. We'll get to that more in in succeeding weeks. But particularly, Hosea is ministering in a time of wealth and prosperity in the northern kingdom. He's speaking to Israel, the northern kingdom. For those of you who remember, the southern kingdom was Judah. Jerusalem was the capital. The northern kingdom that's now known as Samaria, you know, Samaria became Samaria, now known as you know, the West Bank. Uh, it, it was, its capital was Samaria. And they uh, sort of assimilated into the culture. And they were very prosperous at this time. What happens very soon is that Assyria, the northern kingdom, comes in and invades the north. And ransacks them. And Hosea is predicting that. He's saying, you look fat and sassy right now. You look very happy right now. You look very prosperous right now. Let me tell you what's going to happen. And he says, here's what's going to happen. And he plays out the drama. He says, Hosea and Gomer, the prophet and the prostitute, are going to have children. And these children are dramatically reflective of what's going to happen to us. First child, Jezreel. What does Jezreel mean? God scatters. Huh. So the child of you're in my adultery is going to cause scattering, division. The people who once were together are going to be thrown all over the world. And so his name is Jezreel. Then you come to a daughter whose name is Lo Ruhaba. What does that mean? No. Lo means no. Pity. So your adultery is going to cause no pity from your husband. Who's your husband? God. You chase Baal and all the prosperity of Baal. You chase the false gods of this world. Then this is the judgment that's coming. You're going to have a child. If this, this marriage that you've got with seeking money and prestige and power and popularity and influence and ruling over other people, all those things that you, your ego wants, let me tell you what the child of that's going to be. No pity from God. You've got pity now. You'll have no pity then. He says, that day's coming. And then he said, you'll have a third child. And it, with the, these latter two children, you'll notice it's not child, children of Hosea and Gomer. And some scholars suspect that Gomer had these children by somebody else. That's how bad a prostitute she was. Marriage didn't solve her prostitution. lo and the third child, another son. His name will be Lo-Ami. Lo means no. Ami means my people. No, my people. Not my people. Wow this is serious business so when you fool around with adultery you may you may have joined the church when you were five years old and got you know all those pins perfect attendance in Sunday school you know and you you're a tither and you're been involved in your